good day and welcome to the Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. If you live in California under any of the three big utilities and want to earn extra money for turning things off during power crunch periods, then you're in luck. If you're already conserving power and doing it because it's smart, then there's now a way to get paid for being smart and helpful. This out of an article in PV Magazine USA. As California's energy crisis rages, one company has been paying customers handsomely to power down in times of peak strain on the grid. Ohm Connect, O-H-M, Ohm Connect, paid out more than $300,000 to its California residential demand response users when temperatures soared in the middle of last August. On a day in which the company's virtual power plant supplied more than 200 megawatt hours to California's grid by harnessing the power of its fleet of energy-saving homes and smart devices across the state. According to Cisco DeVries, the CEO of Ohm Connect, he said, quote, Since California's energy crisis started last Thursday, this was back in mid-August 2020, Ohm Connect has dispatched over 500,000 automated device events, including smart plugs, Wi-Fi thermostats, and storage to help stabilize the grid. Nearly 2 million Californians faced rolling blackouts during last August's heatwave-induced grid emergency. Well, under an agreement reached several years ago, during periods of high demand, the California Independent System Operator, CalISO, that runs most of the state's grid, tells Ohm Connect its exact special emergency megawatt reduction needs. And then Ohm Connect sends text alerts to its 150,000 users, asking them to power down. If Ohm Connect's demand response participants react and use even less energy than forecasted, they get paid. For example, during one day last August, Ohm Connect's users in Fresno, California, cut their home energy use the most earning over $82,000 in the process for one day for users in one city. Well, utilities participating in the program pay Ohm Connect to engage with its users in order to hit CalISO's megawatt reduction targets during high peak demand forecasts in the summer. Said DeVries, the CEO of Ohm Connect, if we come up short, we have to buy on-the-spot market to make up for it. Well, today, California residents whose utility providers are PG&E, Southern California Edison, and San Diego Gas and Electric are eligible for Ohm Connect's Residential Demand Response Program. Well, instead of continuing to build out the utility infrastructure, in order to reliably keep ahead of the increasingly high temporary electricity demand spikes because under state law, utility companies must try to always have 15% more power than what the users actually need. There always needs to be a cushion 
in order to handle unusual spikes in demand. And as more and more people are born and more and more businesses are here and more and more cars and vehicles and items get plugged in, that peak demand keeps climbing. So utility infrastructure keeps having to grow in order to keep ahead of what that temporary, momentary, highest peak demand that might be on their grid. Well, what about if the utility could tap into everyone's batteries and solar instead? In order to discharge emergency power into the grid temporarily, enough to avoid all of that expense in build out for just temporary spikes. Most times the home batteries are just sitting there doing nothing anyway, having been bought and installed mainly to kick in during infrequent power outages. But what about when there's no outage and instead there's a need on your local grid? Well, the utility in California may start to pay you as a resource if it's cheaper than building out capital expense projects and hard lines and hardware for infrastructure. And if this gets going, which it hasn't yet to date, it would be good news for those with solar and batteries. Here is a brief touch from a Green Tech Media article on the subject. It says California regulators are on the cusp of breaking open a long-awaited opportunity to enlist rooftop solar, behind-the-customer meter batteries, and what are called Distributed Energy Resources, DERs to substitute for expensive grid upgrades. It's called the Partnership Pilot. And according to distributed energy resource developers, it could be a major step forward in a distribution resources plan effort that's been underway in California since 2014 and is being duplicated in many other states under names like distribution system planning and integrated distribution planning. The idea is that instead of always having centralized power plants that then have to distribute outwards, that the power plants are small and located at everyone's house and home and business wherever there are batteries. The resources are distributed around the grid. Well, the goal of these state-by-state -state efforts is to find ways for utilities, solar and battery customers, and third-party aggregators that can bundle them all together to try and capture the grid value of distributed energy resources. Well, one clear opportunity is getting them, getting them to respond to utility signals to reduce peak loads on local grid circuits when needed. Normally, utilities have to build and upgrade power lines, transformers, and other grid equipment to ensure that they can support those peak loads even when they may only arise for a few hours of the day during the hottest months of the year. The entire grid infrastructure has to be built out just to handle that momentary need once or twice or five times a year. So distributed energy resources that can reliably shift loads in those hours can help defer wires and infrastructure upgrades, not just for years, but perhaps indefinitely which is why they're often called non-wires alternatives. So we'll keep you informed if and when there's a moment that the utilities will begin paying customers with batteries and solar to discharge to the grid when needed in order to manage and handle those peak demand times. 
Well, you might not have solar and batteries, but you might have an electric vehicle. And many people have also been talking about and asking about the same thing, using electric vehicle batteries in order to help manage peak demand times during the summer on the grid. Well, electric vehicle owners could also help support California's electric power grid, maybe starting even this summer. State utility regulators signaled they are open to looking at how EVs could be used as a demand response tool to provide grid support services. Both Pacific Gas and Electric and Southern California Edison have expressed doubt that programs could be set up in time for EVs to be of much help this summer. But other groups, including the California Energy Storage Alliance, backed the idea of offering incentives or payments to EVs that export power to the grid. The idea came as part of a proposed order by the California Public Utility Commission that would direct utilities to put in place measures to cut energy demand and boost supply during critical hours of the day, both this summer and in 2022. The commission opened a proceeding on this last November in response to the mid-August 2020 extreme heat event that forced CalISO to initiate rotating power outages across the California grid. One of the other initiatives that's being proposed is forcing utilities to not just have a 15% power margin buffer for how much electricity is available on the grid, but to now increase it to 17.5%. And for those of us that don't run utility companies, it's important to remember that utility companies are intentionally making more power than we need all day long. So that that way, whenever you flip a switch or plug something in, there's plenty of power there. So by law, they actually have to plan to waste 15% of the products that they produce in order to make sure that on those temporary spikes, there's enough power there. Well, in addition to the fire threat safety outages, as we've been talking about, California utilities still suffer from just separate rolling blackouts due to summertime spikes in power demand and the, sta the state not managing the power grid effectively. Well, in addition to talking about using solar and batteries to handle these summer spikes and keep the lights on, in addition to then also throwing EV batteries at the problem, they are adding actual major batteries to the grid. This summer, utilities plan to add batteries to provide grid-wide backup power to avoid the temporary blackouts that have been happening. CalISO estimates that 2,000 megawatts of storage, that's 2 billion watts of batteries, will come online by this summer. So this summer will be a good test to see if we have enough resources now to no longer worry about demand blackouts as opposed to fire-related blackouts. Well, you may have been wondering if it makes more sense to have solar batteries and a generator and have your home or business be off-grid rather than just stay with PG&E power that tends to either shut on and off and sets fire to things or is going to cost a ton of money to upgrade to make it stop setting fire to things. And the answer according to PG&E is yes. Yes, it does. In some of the most remote grid-connected properties in PG&E's network, they have now acknowledged it's cheaper for them 
to get these homes set up off-grid with solar and a generator than to continue to spend the millions of dollars to fix the lines serving them. They're thinking of just taking down the lines, but keep charging people for power, just using an on-site PG&E supplied power plant of solar batteries and a generator. Therefore, they would have minimal line losses and minimal danger. Again, it's really in the most isolated cases. And this is under something called PG&E's Remote Grid Initiative. The Remote Grid Initiative would do away entirely with power lines and replace them with standalone solar batteries and generators. And again, this could only be cost effective for a very small number of customers who are being served right now by a relatively long section of power line crossing high fire threat terrain. But in those rare circumstances, yes, a utility-owned on-site power option with solar batteries and generators that then has its own special rate price per kilowatt hour charge to that homeowner could not only be safer and more reliable for that pocket of customers, but also less expensive than the alternative for all the rest of PG&E's customers who would be helping foot the bill for keeping power lines safe and secure, feeding the most far-flung homes. It remains to be seen exactly who they're looking at, but they have said that there are quite a few properties and that some of those are in the Sierra Nevada region. Well, in other news uh, related to how we get our utility power, millions of people in California now get their power from local power companies called CCAs, Community Choice Aggregators. It's electricity that's still delivered through the regular utilities power lines, it's still billed on your utility's electric bill as a separate line item, along with a utility company credit since they're now just delivering your power instead of generating it. For example, in Placer County, they now have Pioneer Community Energy. In Nevada County, NID, the Nevada Irrigation District, has also been exploring becoming a local CCA. Some of the touted benefits with CCAs are that bills tend to be about 5% lower. And about half of every bill paid stays in the local economy instead of going out of town, as about half of every bill is the cost of generation. And lastly, another touted benefit is that CCAs are local nonprofits run by a board of local citizens that is elected by local citizens who tend to want the safest, cleanest power at the lowest price, as opposed to the typical utility structure, which is a for-profit company, also run by a board, but one that is elected by out-of-town shareholders who generally are focusing on getting as much money as they can. In most counties and cities where CCAs operate, customers are automatically enrolled into the local CCA once it starts. And you've been given an option to actually opt out of it, to stay with the regular utility and pay about 5% higher prices to send all of the money out of town to investors. Well, here's some great new news for people that are living in CCA territories. California Choice aggregators have become a formidable player in California's electricity markets. This out of a Green Tech Media article. 
They've taken over the role of supplying electricity to millions of customers from the state's typical investor-owned utilities. And they've announced big-time clean energy contracts. And they've pushed state regulators to add flexibility to state rules that have been stymieing the growth of CCAs. Well, a recent announcement again underlines that expanding influence. A total of eight CCAs across California have now teamed up on what's called a Joint Powers Authority. It's merely an entity basically joining all these public agencies together in service of a common goal. And in this case, the goal is buying larger amounts of clean energy at better prices. Many of California's CCAs have renewable energy targets that are more aggressive than those of the state at large. Well, taken together, this new powerful group called California Community Power serves 2.6 million electric customer accounts. That's about half the number served by PG&E. Said Colin Smith, a senior solar analyst with energy consultancy Wood McKenzie, that size turns them into one of the biggest buyers of power in the country overnight. That's right. PG&E serves about 5 million electric customers. This new aggregated group of CCAs serves about half of that amount. These are the eight CCAs that have now joined together. Silicon Valley Clean Energy joins the East Bay Community Energy, as well as Redwood Coast Energy Authority, Marin Clean Energy, Peninsula Clean Energy, San Jose Clean Energy, Sonoma Clean Power, and Central Coast Community Energy, all CCAs covering swaths of Northern and Central California and most of the Bay. And San Francisco's CCA, Clean Power SF, is currently pursuing membership according to the group. That would make them even closer to being the same size as PG&E. The group is designed to outfit a growing band of CCAs in California with weightier buying power when it comes to renewables and storage. CCAs may individually be small on their own, the size of a county, and the younger ones can have trouble gaining financial backers for their power projects. But a combined group of such organizations, several with investment grade credit ratings, could mean bigger deals and more confidence from developers. Well, in some climate change news, this is about the effects of climate change, especially in regards to the wildfires, which are becoming more frequent, more dangerous, more deadly, and larger as a result of climate change. Here is an article from The Guardian, and they're talking about the danger of the new megafire wildfire smoke. It's bad, and it's very bad, because it's not just trees and creatures that are being burned. It says here, the thick gray wildfire smoke that shrouds California each autumn and winter could be more harmful to humans than pollution from cars and other sources a new study has found. Coming at the heels of the state's worst wildfire season on record, the findings add to growing evidence that extreme fires fueled by climate change will have increasingly dire health consequences for all residents in the Western US. Tiny toxic particles spewed by wind-whipped wildfires 
resulted in 10 times as many hospitalizations due to respiratory illness as compared to other types of pollution, researchers found in the study, which was just published in Nature Communications. Said Rosanna Aguilera, a postdoctoral scholar who co-authored the research, quote, we know wildfires are going to become more extreme due to climate change. And it's important that we start to reckon with the health effects of that. Well, Aguilera and her colleagues looked at hospital admissions over a 14-year period from 1999 through 2012 and found that spikes in air pollution during peak fire season in Southern California, when fierce Santa Ana winds usually stoke the most destructive wildfires, were correlated there with a 10% increase in hospitalizations for respiratory issues. That wasn't even taking into account the most recent several years of mega wildfires. And unfortunately, the, po the pollution from wildfires disproportionately impacts low-wage workers and poor communities of color across the state who are already exposed to high levels of pollution from other sources, including factories, highways, and refineries. In Southern California's Riverside and Imperial counties southeast of Los Angeles, farm workers already regularly breathe in pesticide-laden smog. Said Luz Gallegos, the executive director of the advocacy group TODEC, quote, in our region, the majority of workers have asthma. Their kids have asthma. Their parents have asthma. This has been an ongoing crisis. During last year's record-setting wildfires, workers continued to harvest crops under smoke-filled skies, in addition to pesticides. Said Gallegos, one woman in our community just collapsed in the field as she was working. She had asthma, and once she was rushed to the hospital, tested positive for COVID-19. Thank God she survived, Gallegos said, but it's uncertain whether her lungs will be able to handle the continued strain. Well, one researcher who was not involved in this recent study said there is a growing body of evidence that smoke from the climate-driven megafires that California has seen in recent years is not only just simply bad for our health, it's, quote, extra bad, probably worse than most other types of pollution. And part of the problem is what's being burned. Due to development in California wildlands, fires are increasingly likely to burn through homes and infrastructure, spewing up a noxious mix of plastics, metals, household cleaning chemicals, and other unnatural char. And then megafires, blazes that are so massive they create their own wind and microclimate, are also more likely to pump smoke higher up, where it often lingers for long periods of time, oxidizing and becoming more toxic. Well, more research is required to understand the long-term dangers of exposure to this smoke, but the researcher said, I think we already know enough about the impacts to mandate emergency action. In a different study just published last month, they found that just one day of exposure to elevated air pollution, including from wildfires, 
can affect children's immune and cardiovascular systems. Well, along that note, when it comes to wildfires, there's a lot of discussion about how important forests are for absorbing carbon. A quarter to a third of the carbon that we produce gets absorbed by forests. And unfortunately, according to a new global study, these more fierce and frequent fires are reducing forest density and tree size to the point that it, it may damage forests' ability to capture carbon in the future. Although forest fires are naturally occurring phenomena and natural forests regenerate, global heating and human activity have caused the frequency and intensity of these natural fires to rise. Currently, wildfires burn 5% of the planet's surface every year, releasing carbon dioxide into the atmosphere equivalent to a fifth of our annual fossil fuel emissions. Well, researchers analyzing decades of data from 29 regions around the globe in Africa, Australia, North America, and South America have found that sites that had fires every year had 63% fewer trees and 72% less what's called basal area, which is a measurement that reveals the trees that are left are much smaller. Landscapes with fewer and smaller trees are likely to sequester less carbon. Well, there is growing interest in planting trees as a natural climate solution with the Trillion Trees campaign attracting the support of global politicians and business leaders and even the enthusiastic backing of Donald Trump in the final year of his U.S. presidency. Well, lastly, when nature punches back, she doesn't care if you vote red or blue. Everyone gets it. The blue state gets burned fire red. The red state gets frozen icy blue. And it was a fun 20th century with a societal infrastructure that was designed for a perfect set of conditions. But we are now in the 21st century. And putting off updating an old, outdated, fragile utility grid system that was meant to work under last century's climate conditions, simply in order to maximize shareholder profits, so that now it's no longer prepared to work for our current modern needs and under today's more extreme conditions. Well, it turns out none of that was a good idea. And who pays the price are the most vulnerable with the least resources. Well, an interesting thing about what's been happening in both California and Texas is that they are warnings. Blackouts are showing that the U.S. is deeply unprepared for the climate crisis. According to The Guardian, it says when California saw widespread power blackouts last year during wildfires and a summer heat storm, Republican lawmakers from Texas were quick to deride the coastal state's energy policies. Tweeted Senator Ted Cruz during the record-breaking heat wave last August, California is now unable to perform even basic functions of civilization like having reliable electricity. Well, those Republicans, including Cruz, had to swallow their words as a massive winter storm took out the Lone Star State's power grid, leaving nearly 4 million people without electricity and heat amid polar temperatures. Well, the crises in California and Texas are different in scale and severity. One faced fire, the other an ice storm, but experts say the power outages in both states make one thing clear. 
neither is prepared for the chaos of the climate crisis. Said Roshi Nategi, a researcher at Purdue University who studies infrastructure sustainability and resilience, quote, there's a lot of similarities between what has happened in Texas and California. In both cases, you had an extreme climate or weather event, and in both cases, the states were not prepared. And over the past two decades across the United States, severe weather has been now the main cause of sustained power outages. Said a professor of electrical engineering at UC Berkeley, we're already seeing the effects of climate change. There will be more of this and it will get worse. Well, that's all for today's climate report, broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's news, please look for the Climate Report page on Facebook. Stay tuned for more great programming here on KVMR-FM.